Tennessee baseball falls to LSU 5-0 here in Omaha, Nebraska as their season comes to an end. Tennessee finishes the season going 1-2 in the College World Series. lot to take away from this season. Positively, Ryan, it's Ryan Shepard and Jack Foster here recapping the Tennessee loss, of course. But it ends on a sour note here on a Tuesday night in Omaha. Your general reaction from Tennessee losing to LSU tonight. I think my general reaction is that every issue or, you know, Tennessee's weaknesses, I guess, would probably be the more likely uh, or better way to phrase it. They all kind of showed up tonight. Inability or struggles hitting left-handed pitching, especially average left-handed pitching. They killed him. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce the left-hander's name. Ackenhausen. Ackenhausen. And Cooper, or Riley Cooper, Riley. both two lefties for LSU, shut Tennessee down. Riley Cooper has been one of their better guys, but, you know, nothing crazy good either. So, uh, those guys shut Tennessee down. Tennessee, you know, it's what I mentioned being a concern for Tennessee coming into Omaha just because the bigger ballpark and they've been so home run dependent. Obviously, that wasn't an issue yesterday, but they couldn't get the clutch hits today. They couldn't have the situational hitting. That's been an issue for them at times. And then uh, defensively, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't February, March Tennessee defensive mistakes, uh, but a double play ball that was uh, dropped. Christian Moore dropped a yep. uh, transition on a wild pitch, allowed a run to score. Uh, Christian Moore, it wasn't an error. It was a, you know, not an easy play to make, but a hard hit ball. Uh, he was kind of ranging towards second base that he didn't make a play on. Tennessee's defense wasn't as good today, I guess what I'm saying, as it was for yep. most of the NCAA tournament. Uh, and combined out those other two things, it just felt like the issues that cost Tennessee this year were the issues that ended their season tonight. Yeah, and we'll get into more of a broad season talk here in about the second half of this podcast. Let's focus on the game real quick. You mentioned the mistakes from Tennessee, certainly a big part of this ball game, but the most surprising part of this ball game was Ackenhausen dealing. We went into this game thinking that Tennessee had the upper hand given their vast pitching advantage as you looked at LSU's arms available, the fact that they used their day two and day three starter against Wake Forest looked pretty bleak. But then Nate Atkinhausen comes in today, man. Six innings pitched, only giving up four hits, shattered a career high in total pitches with 93. Dude, you know, he's been good for LSU this season and had pretty good stats. And, you know, he's a lefty. Tennessee struggles with lefties. But he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, he threw, uh, I can't do math, but like what, a little bit under 30% of his innings on the season now came in today's game. He had, I think, 22 and a third uh, going into today's yes, he game. Did. And he threw six innings again. I'm not a math guy, but I think that's somewhere between 25 and 30%. Uh, so it, it came out of nowhere. I think that's completely fair to say. And it felt like, you know, worst case scenario, but, you know, felt like, yeah, he could be good early and have success against Tennessee. First but he's not going to be able to go up. deep, right? Yeah, maybe go three, four, four, five, maybe even five innings scoreless early, giving up one run. Uh, but for him to get that far in the game and, and really the way he started the seventh inning really and gave up, uh, I, I can't remember if he hit a guy or gave up a single to lead off the seventh. Uh, yeah, he hit a guy. He hit Burke, yeah. yeah. That was really his one flaw. I mean, he gave up, Tennessee got seven base runners against him and three were on hit batters. <laughs> wow, there you go. Yeah, but it felt like early on, you know, even though Tennessee was obviously not doing much offensively, that they were making better contact. And then it just went on a stretch in, their, in the middle innings where it's just soft ground outs all the time. And it just no rhythm at all whatsoever with this Tennessee offense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it felt kind of similar to yesterday, early in the game, where Tennessee wasn't scoring runs. But it felt like, okay, they've got some hard hit outs. They you thought it was going to come, right? Yeah, you felt, it felt like it was going to come. They had some base runners. Not, and granted, not as good a scoring opportunities as they had the day before. Uh, but it, it felt like it was going to come, and it just didn't. I mean, I can... 
Ackenhausen. Ackenhausen got into a groove. Tap into that German heritage, right? That's, that's right. Uh, Ackenhausen got into a groove, and you got to give him credit. Uh, and, you know, it, it felt like Tennessee pressed a little bit or got a little bit tight. You know, I asked Tony Vitello about that. He said he didn't necessarily feel that way. Uh, and obviously he's a lot smarter than me, but it, it did feel like the, the pressure mounted on Tennessee a little bit. And with each missed scoring opportunity, it just became a, a much harder grind, both mentally and obviously logistically on the scoreboard to try to get back in the game. A couple of missed opportunities from Tennessee's offense. Um, you know, Cal Stark was hit by a pitch with two outs in the bottom of the fifth. And then Mali Ahuna absolutely roped a double into left center. Starks, if there's a faster guy that's not Cal Stark, you're sending him no matter what. And maybe that played a part into it. And, you know, as Tony Vassell said, postgame just wasn't there. But did you think Cal Stark should have been sent home in that scenario? Felt like he maybe could have made it, and that would have certainly changed the game in that moment as Tennessee would have only been down one-to-one. They would have tied the game if Cal Stark would have scored there. Yeah, yes, and I haven't seen the replay extendedly, you know, more than just like a time or two right after. I think he's out with a good throw, but I still think at the same time, like, you were struggling to scratch runs across. Like, it's, it's a term Tony Vitelli used to talk about the plays yesterday in the Stanford game. I'd have made him play catch. And they, maybe they do it, and they get and they get the runner out, and it's obviously a huge momentum swing for LSU, but it was a huge momentum swing for LSU when Hunter they flew out the next to bat. And, uh, you know, I certainly get where Tennessee's coming from, Tennis, or not sending him. Hunter Inslee was really good against LSU two days ago. Uh, he's a guy to have a lot of faith in. But it, it just felt like that was kind of a, a golden opportunity. And, again, it's – I don't – you know, a lot of people on Twitter that have been acting like, how could Tennessee not send him? That was the dumbest decision ever. It, it, it was certainly close. Yeah. I mean, yes. There's no doubt. Yes. It wasn't clear as day, like, wow, what a bungle that was. Yes, and I mean, this is me saying I would have sent him, but at the end of the day, I think if it was a good throw, not even a great throw, just a good relay, good throw, on target, he would have been out. So it's hard for me to sit here and uh, kill Josh Elander for not sending him and act like that was some you know grave mistake or anything like that either. And, and let's not forget, Mal Yahuna was sent home ill-advisedly sent home a couple of days ago. Maybe it was Stanford game, I can't remember, but he was out by was, a yeah. thousand First feet at Stanford home. Game. So maybe that played a part in it. I don't know uh, as, as far as playing a little bit more conservative. But, you know, from my vantage point, as soon as Cal Stark rounded third and looked back was when the throw was coming in. So maybe he made it, maybe he wouldn't have. That's in the past, of course. Hunter Ensley had the misfortune of, you know, kind of being the guy to miss these opportunities, to not capitalize for Tennessee tonight as Tennessee had the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh. You knew at this point, Ryan, that Tennessee was going to strike. This was the time. Down 2-0, to zero, you knew they had to have it here, and they didn't. Hunter Inslee grounds out on a weak grounder to Trey Morgan. Thought maybe it was going to go foul off the jump. Yeah, it looked like it might. It was, it was kind of a little bit of bad luck because it looked like it was going to go foul, but then it stayed fair along the grass line and was the easiest ground out possible Trey Morgan can have. And that seventh inning... When that happened, I think we both looked at each other and knew that it was probably not going to happen tonight. It, it didn't feel like it. It felt like that was the chance, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to rip a player, you know, be overly critical, but it was a bad at bat for Hunter Ensley, and it was kind of the one I felt like where Tennessee was pressing. You know, it, mm-hmm. he swings it, three pitches that were out of the strike zone, including the last one was a three-two pitch with the bases loaded. That was a ball uh, that he, you know, weakly hits a grounder to first base. So uh, that was, you know, not a that was an opportunity to get right, you know, pull within one. Especially after gifted a base runner after the exactly. error. And it was, I guess that's kind of what, what stands out, especially on 
nights like tonight when the wind's blowing in and already a pitcher park and the conditions are not optimal for offense, you got to take advantage when the other team makes a mistake and throws you a bone. And the Malianuna double that they didn't send Cal Stark. Cal Stark got on base because he was hit by a pitch with two outs and nobody on. You know, that's a mistake that you want to capitalize on. And to, you know, to Malianuna's credit, he gave a hit and a, that potentially could have scored a run, and certainly they gave Hunter Inslee a, a chance uh, even by not sending him. And then again, it was... Uh, I guess who would that who would that have been? Malyahuna, just a real really weak grounder uh, to second base. And it was a was routine in play as a very, routine. Play yeah, yes. very very routine, and it, it was bungled, and that gave Tennessee the bases loaded. Uh, and you know, even Funderinsley just walks there. You pull within one. You give Jared Dickey a chance with the bases loaded. He's obviously been really good in those opportunities in the postseason, uh, but it, it obviously didn't happen, and it wasn't meant to be for Tennessee tonight. Yeah, every swing he Hunter Inslee took in that at bat. I remember thinking it was a ball. So yeah, there you go. But um, after the seventh inning, things really didn't necessarily unravel as the two run homer came in the ninth inning. That was the death knell. But man, it was just a messy, messy inning from Tennessee's pitching staff. AJ Russell comes out of the game. Didn't quite understand that as he looked pretty good in the seventh. I didn't understand the Russell move in the bottom of the sixth, given that I thought maybe. That was a spot for Aaron Combs, but then Russell dealt in the seventh, thought maybe he was going to be in position to go another inning for sure, but Combs comes in, hits back-to-back batters, and then Halverson comes in, gets a fly out, then a hard hit foul ball, he gets pulled, and then Camden Sewell comes in, later LSU scores on a wild pitch, just a messy, messy inning. That's the best word I have for this. I think that was a good way to put it, messy inning, and and that's kind of where the defensive mistakes, it felt like, came in uh, with the double play ball that should have gotten them out of the inning. It started very messy, like you said, with Combs hitting the two guys and then the wild pitch. Uh, so that, again, was just kind of felt like it. It already kind of felt like Tennessee was in a really bad spot or wasn't going to win after that seventh inning, but you know that was just kind of further. An extra run for, means so much. An yes. extra run meant so much in, in a game like this. So you're absolutely right. Um, and, and I, you know, I would agree that some of the pitching decisions were like somewhat puzzling. I don't think anything like crazy. Uh, my theory or my guess is that this Tennessee was like trying to save Russell. They didn't want to burn Russell. They didn't want to. They didn't want to burn any of the guys out of the bullpen that they wouldn't be able to throw the next couple of days. That was my thought process. Uh, they were kind of taking a long, a uh, long term look at it. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know that's kind of my thought. Yeah, if if they is, I think that's the wrong. If they were, I think that's the wrong outlook. But maybe so. But anyway, outside of the two-run home run Dylan Cruz hit in the ninth inning, this is a good stat. You know, all the runs LSU scored were, you know, what started those innings for LSU was something Tennessee could have easily avoided. You got the leadoff walk in the first inning. I just mentioned the two hit-by-pitches there. The error from Zane didn't allow the run to score. So Tennessee repeatedly shot themselves in the foot tonight. Yeah, the first inning one, I... Yeah, I would say. I, I would mean, leadoff walk you never want to happen. You know, you, you do. You never want it to happen. But I was also really competitive at bat against the best batter in the country. It was like a, what a seven pitch walk and a three two count. So uh, to me, that wasn't like he drew me and went out there and threw four straight balls. And uh, even you know we talked about the but bunt. Would, also, Cruz took second on a pass ball. I will remind that. That's yeah, that's a good point. And uh, even if they did one, obviously that was the big play of the inning and the big mistake. But you know it. Drew Beam was ahead of Trey Morgan 0-2, and you know he could not only couldn't put him away, he left him a good pitch that he hit the other way for a double. So uh, you're right about that. You know there were some early inning 
miscues or you know things Tennessee didn't execute uh, to the best of their ability that, that certainly cost them. Well, I know it wasn't a good night for Tennessee, but it was a pretty good night for Drew Beam, all things considered. And it was a great postseason for Drew Beam. He really had that breaking ball working again today, and he's had that curveball working all postseason long. Just when evaluating Drew Beam today and throughout the whole postseason, how much have you seen him grow as he caps off his sophomore season? A lot. I think he, you know, he down the stretch of the season, down the stretch of the regular season, I should say, you know, it felt like, not that he was going to fall off the same way he did last year. I don't think anyone ever thought that. But it did kind of feel like he was trending in the wrong direction. Bad start against Georgia. Uh, not a very good start against Kentucky. I know the weather delay you know, had a little bit of impact there. But even then, he, that was not a good start. And then from there, he was – yeah, he wasn't better than Chase Burns. I was about to say he's Tennessee's best pitcher. But he was really, really darn good. He was fantastic at South Carolina in a – Tough spot in game two at a doubleheader when Tennessee lost game one in a heartbreaker. Tennessee finally got that road series win monkey off its back. He was fantastic putting the Clemson Regional to bed uh, in a start against Charlotte. He was unbelievable with Tennessee's season on the line last week against Southern Miss. And to me, you really couldn't have asked any more out of him than he gave you tonight. I mean, if you told, I don't think there's any Tennessee fan, coach, player, that if you read Drew Beam's final line to him after the game, they would have said, we're going to lose this game. Yeah, I mean, he was plenty good enough for Tennessee to win. He kept getting better. And, you know, the way his curveball develops, if his curveball is even in the same realm next year, he's going to be a guy that's a really, really good weekend starter for Tennessee again. And as Dylan Cruz said in the said postgame, he's going to pitch in the MLB a really, really long time. Yeah, and that's high praise from, like you just said a couple of minutes ago, the best hitter in all of college baseball. All right, so Tennessee lost this game 5-0. Their season's over. I remember just a couple months ago, now maybe we'll do a podcast just looking back at the season and talking future too more in depth, but just for right now, I remember when Tennessee lost that series to Arkansas, we've revisited your words about this, that you had big doubts they'd make the NCAA tournament. Fast forward to June 20th, and they won a game in Omaha. Just what about this Tennessee team did you see improve so much in the fight and perseverance they had as the season progressed so that they could do this? I think the easy answer would be to talk about talk about the defensive mistakes, how much better they got there, and the base running mistakes, and how man, it doesn't feel like they made a base running mistake in the last six weeks. Yeah, but I think it's. I mean, really, when you boil it down, I think it's what you just said. I think it's the fight and the perseverance and the togetherness that this team found, and how easily it could have cratered after Arkansas and after losing to Tennessee Tech, the game following that, and how easily it could have all come unglued, and it didn't. Um, and, you know, I even said, that, you know, at the time or around the time, whenever Tennessee was struggling, I don't know if I said it after Arkansas, but if this team makes the NCAA tournament, they'll always have a chance because they have such good pitching. Uh, but it was a really tall task. I mean, Tennessee basically needed to go 9-6 and six to back half of SEC play with Vanderbilt, who was 13-2 and two at the time, and South Carolina, uh, who was number three in the country yeah. at the time, left on the schedule. There are, and obviously neither of them, you know, quite played up to that, that way down the stretch of the season. Kentucky, who was playing really well, that was a really hard task to go 9-6. They did it two better, didn't they? Yeah, they went 11-4 and four, yeah, uh, down the stretch of the season. And obviously a lot of people, I don't know, panicked, but again, didn't feel like this team was in a good spot after losing the SEC tournament, their first game of the SEC tournament. And they were, you know, it's hard in the NCAA tournament, especially if you're not hosting, but they didn't get an easy draw at any point, at any point, they knocked off the hottest team in the country, the number four overall seed in Clemson to win a regional. They went on the road to Southern Miss, and certainly Southern Miss wasn't 
uh, fan, you know, one that's the round of 16. They weren't one of the best teams left in that final 16, but it was still to go on the road and to deal with a lot of adversity. Yeah, weather delay weather after weather delays, delay. And to lose the first game, and they found a way to win. And then, uh, obviously, they were stuck with the number one overall seed, LSU, who was preseason number one, one of the best teams in the country. They had to face Paul Skeens. And then Stanford, who was number eight overall seed. So, yep. Uh, to get a win in Omaha, it was, you know, I don't think getting to Omaha. If you're, you go, if you're coming home and they're starting practice in the fall and you got an Omaha, Omaha dirt in your cleats, it's a good season. And certainly for Tennessee to, to get that first win here uh, since 2001, I think is a, certainly a huge achievement. Well, to believe that this team accomplished more than any other team you've covered? Yeah, I would say so, I guess. Um, it, it depends on how you look at it, whether you want to regular season success or, you know, SEC tournament success versus NCAA tournament success, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a postseason sport, and you're kind of judged by how far you make it in the tournament. And this team has made it further than, you know, any Tennessee team since 2001 and any Tennessee team I've covered. Uh, so 2021, I would say, is close because they made it to Omaha, and they were the first ones to do that. And they just broke down so many walls, so many barriers that the program hadn't gotten over. They won an SEC's title, which obviously isn't the end of the world, but yeah. another little ring around. They probably didn't get anything for that, but another little bulletin <laughs> board thing to, to push up. It's so. on the wall, uh, first Fright Field in Lindsay yes, Elsa Stadium. I know it's there. So. Under the coaches' under the coaches offices, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, all three of these last three teams have accomplished unique, unique things and have done a lot to push this program forward, but... At the end of the day, this is the one that won a game in Omaha. So I think, to your point, I would probably say this is the one that's achieved the most. How about Beam, Dolander, and Burns? Like, I know, obviously, Beam and Burns have another year, but those three and what they brought to the table for two full seasons, it's not often you get three pitchers of those caliber for two full seasons in college baseball. No, it really isn't. And certainly all, all three of them, there's been struggles, mm-hmm. pitfalls, Drew Beam, very – Pour into his freshman season and very frustrating. Chase Burns was taken out of the weekend rotation this year and found a way to snap and clear and get so much better. And certainly I don't think Chase Dolander had the season that anyone expected, including himself this season, but was still, you know, maybe the best pitcher in the country last year. Um, and we'll leave Tennessee as, you know, probably the very, the very first example in the age of transfer portal, the very first guy Tennessee got out of the transfer portal that changed the next team, yeah. changed the next seasons, and it was a huge recruiting win for Tennessee, too, at the time, beating out TCU and Arkansas. So those are three guys that had been a lot to this program, uh, and certainly Dolander's Anders off, um, and, you know, Tennessee hopes they'll have the, next, the other two back for next season, and if they do, I think they'll have a, a really good chance to be back here in Omaha again. There you go. Wake, Florida, LSU, TCU, who you got? I'll go with Florida. Still sticking with Florida? Still sticking with Florida. You think Wake beats LSU? I do think Wake beats LSU. But, man, the bad, the bad man, the bad man, Mr. Paul Skeens, is waiting in the wings. He's lurking. He's lurking. And, I don't know, the, thing I, the reason I don't pick Wake to win, and maybe this is an oversimplification, I haven't watched all 18 innings that they've played in Omaha so far, but... We talked about, all right, that offense was amazing, but it was amazing at a small ballpark. Can they yeah. turn it over and be successful in Omaha? The offense hasn't been very good to this point. Now they, They've won games. Yeah, yeah they've won games because their pitching is also just as good right. as their offense is. But, uh, you know, I just – I give the nod, nod to Florida uh, over them just because of kind of the question mark. 
question mark there. Uh, and again, like like Tennessee with Wake Forest pitching depth, I think their team is more well suited for like a regional format, like this first half uh, of the College World Series is, as opposed to a three game series like they would be playing against Florida if those two teams match up. All right, Ryan. Well, we're sitting here in press box or radio booth two, I should say, here in Charles Schwab Field. Another Omaha trip capped. Any final thoughts here before we close it out? I guess I'll, I'll go two. Uh, the first one, you know, just being that, again, I think this is just rehashing what I've already said, but I think a really good season for Tennessee. I think this was probably Tony Vitello's best coaching job in this Tennessee, his Tennessee tenure. Um, and, you know, we'll have plenty of coverage on what's next for the program, where they need to improve transfer portals. Who they're losing. Who they're losing, all that good stuff. Uh, but, again, I think it's going to be a really talented team next year, and success, certainly postseason success in baseball isn't a given, but I guess the team will, will probably play deep into June again and have a chance to be here. And then lastly is just, you know, thanks to all you guys that have listened to the podcast all year yeah. and have followed our coverage. First, uh, uh, first time Rocket Top Insiders had a baseball podcast run all season? I think so. I've only been Rock Top Insider two years, but we didn't have one last year. So uh, I, yeah, and I don't imagine, given baseball's lack of yeah popularity, yeah, they had a podcast go all yeah, season long. So you're almost certainly right. I, yeah, they just don't want to make any definitive. A classic journalist line: Don't make any definitive statements. No, I feel you. Don't know, I feel you don't know that for sure. Uh, but you're right. So thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody for following, reading all our stories, you know, following along with game live game updates and, and everything. You guys are the the people that. Make it possible for us to do this best job right. in the world and, and, you know, interacting with y'all on, on the interwebs and stuff. And, and it's what makes this job fun. So uh, appreciate everybody that's listening. And like I said a minute ago, we'll have plenty, uh, plenty of coverage on Tennessee moves into the offseason and the MLB draft and everything that's next for Tony Vitello uh, in Tennessee baseball as they head into his seventh season. Lucky number seven? Maybe lucky number maybe, seven. Maybe. That's going to be a packed off season. That's for sure. And Rocked Up, etc. As Ryan said, we'll have you covered all the way through. For Ryan Shepard, I'm Jack Foster. It's been a blast podcasting for you guys here live in Omaha. We'll be back with you guys with another press pass, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, who knows, but it'll definitely be soon, so be on the lookout for that. For Ryan, again, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next time.